was 28 years old and I was working corporate America. I was uh, overweight. I was a workaholic. I was uh, really just following my father's footsteps. And I think I would have ended up, you know, divorced a couple of times, maybe some kids. I probably would have been successful in business, but I just would have been totally disconnected from this other part of me, this feminine side, this emotional side. I just would have gone down the path and been like every other guy. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Men. I am pleased to have my good friend Rob here with us today on a very important topic, which is how men and women communicate differently. Obviously, there's a lot riding on that, and it can lead to lots of conflict or lots of ease and tranquility. So we're going to go into the differences so that we can be more educated and hopefully communicate better with each other. So Rob has 20 years of experience being a life coach, uh, business consultant. He's a podcaster and a writer and a good friend of mine and someone I respect quite a bit because of all the different relationship and um, experiences you've had in your life, Rob. I'm really excited to talk to you because I feel like you're kind of like me, a research data-based person who has also had a lot of real life experience in the area. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're both geeks. <laughs> exactly. Well said. <laughs> Total geeks in the Total relationship geeks. and communication space. So we're going to geek out about that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was just wondering as a general sort of topic, you can go anywhere you want with it. How do men and women communicate differently? I think it's best to start off uh, not talking necessarily about men and women, but talk about masculine versus feminine communication, mm-hmm. because there are some men who are physically men with who are very feminine. There are some uh, women who are very masculine. So if if it would be okay if I had used masculine feminine instead of male female, I think that might be the first good foundation. Yeah, and I'm assuming that you mean energetically, and not just like you said physically. So some women might communicate in a more masculine way, and vice versa. Yes, yeah. yes, for sure. And you can never trust how someone looks or even <laughs> how they sound. Uh, so it's it makes things more challenging. And every person has what I call the masculine-feminine ratio, mm-hmm. some mix of masculine-feminine that varies uh, during their life, during experiences, even from day to day. It's a ratio that goes back and forth. Yeah, that feels really, really true. Can you cool. say more about what So on previous podcasts, we've talked a little bit about what it means to be in your masculine or to be Mm -hmm. in your feminine, but maybe you could outline that for us again, if that's relevant here. Well, it's, to me, it's a superpower to be in touch with both your masculine and feminine and to define, let's just define masculine and feminine a little bit. So masculine tends to be projectile, moving forward, forward action, likes to complete cycles, like to simplify The feminine is one of internal or reception, likes to open cycles, likes to explore. Um, So that's the main difference between masculine and feminine. And so, go ahead. 
No, I was just saying, hmm, go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> so for many men have a lot of judgments on their feminine, but to me, that's cutting off a whole new valuable piece, especially in terms of communication. And if you think your feminine is uh, you know, weak or not powerful, then you're shutting off a superpower. And the best balance for a man is to have access to both his masculine and feminine to perceive what's best in every moment to go deep in their masculine or to go deep in their feminine to meet the current situation. Mm. So if, if, for example, there's a man who is not in touch with his feminine, what does that look like in his life? Well, he's probably not connected to his emotions. He's probably not connected to feeling. He's also probably not very good at receiving both the good, you know, what the universe wants to provide, and also some negative feedback or ways to improve. He tends to, it's sort of like a bull. (laughs) He's like moving like a bull through an emotional uh, china shop and knocking things over as they go. And uh, having access to your emotions is such a powerful thing, especially when we want to relate with a woman. You'd want a feminine woman to meet your masculine. But if you don't have access to your emotions, then she can't access your emotions. And that doesn't tend to lead to very healthy relationships. Yeah, that feels really true. So, and and there's kind of a lot, like the lone cowboy would be kind of like the archetype for this. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's, you know, moving through the world. He's got direction. He's got focus but he doesn't have a lot of access to his heart, mm-hmm. it sounds like, and or his emotions. So if something sad happens or something, he's just going to power through it, maybe ignore it and not have a lot of access to it. And then do those emotions kind of get like stored up? Like what mm-hmm. happens to that guy if he doesn't have access to his feminine? Well, one first is he's missing out on a lot of pleasure pleasures in life. We have such fear of looking weak or, uh, you know, being a pussy or, you know, boys don't cry. All these things were fed. Uh, there's a great documentary, The Mask We Live In, uh, which is really about all the, the programming boys, young boys have to not be in touch with their feminine. You know, you know even emotions are very feminized or, or, you know, bisexual or homosexual nature is very feminized. And so we don't want to be a girl. It's, it's a way to, you know, lose um, access in the pack. Mm. And so by, by not having access, you're just missing out on so much. And those emotions do get stored and they can cause biological damage in terms of not only missing out in life, but also physical and emotional. You know, there's a lot of viewpoints around disease is emotions and yeah. things that aren't stored or in process. You know, when you're in fight or flight, there's actually biological responses, raises in cortisol, uh, different enzymes get increased. So there's a biological hit. Yeah. So you're saying that men who repress their emotions over time can get sick. And, and die. Yes. And, and die. Yeah. yeah there's, of things there's like a biological disease. connection to it. Yes. Okay, cool. All right. And then on the other side, if let's stick with men for this thought experiment, if we have a man who's not very in touch with his masculine, but he's very in touch with his feminine, he's going to show up how? They tend to be more in the emotion. They tend to be more internal. They tend to be more receptive. And it's not to say like anything would happen. They might find uh, magnetized to them. Men, uh, people who really want a feminine man. There's not like you'll end up alone, but without the balance, they tend to uh, not succeed as much in business because the masculine is revered in business in the world. They tend to shrink and be small and they tend to kind of live on the fringes of society because it's such a ostracized uh, type of person, type of man. 
And I'm imagining relationship wise that, that if they're very in their feminine, they might attract women who are in their masculine. And I know some of my clients have attracted women who've actually abused them. So mm-hmm. hit them been physically abusive or emotionally abusive. Do you, do you find that in your work as well? That if a man isn't in, yet in touch with his masculine, he attracts like masculinized partners. Indeed, because of polarity to go to the David data, the polarity, you know, you, you tend to attract what's opposite of you. And if you have a very feminine man and a feminine female, you know, based on the concepts of polarity, there's not a lot of energy. There's definitely not a sex in between them. And so, feminized men tend to attract masculine women, uh, where certainly, I wouldn't say it's a rule, but certainly there's a possibility of physical and emotional abuse. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's talk about communication then. Like how does this affect the way people are communicating? Right. Yeah. Okay. The first and most important fact um, is that masculine communicators tend to communicate with the intention for production. So the masculine communicator says something to move the box from point A to point B. The feminine communication wants to communicate with the intention of connection or relationship or intimacy. So if you have a very pure masculine communicator and a very pure feminine communicator in dialogue, unwilling to change their ratio, they're going to miss each other because the guy's going to say, let's go out find the animal, kill the animal, and bring the animal home, the female communicator is going to be like, well, how do you feel about killing the animal? What does that bring up for you? And then all of a sudden, you have two people missing each other because they don't, they aren't communicating with the same intention. That's great. That's great. So she's saying, but how do you feel about killing the animal? And he's like, it doesn't matter how I feel. We're killing right. the animal. We need right. to eat. We're killing the animal. Why is that even, why are we talking about that? Why did you even ask me that? And, and, and she's thinking, what is she thinking? Like, how can you skip over that part? Like emotion is so important. Feeling is so important. How can you just go do this thing without thinking about what, what it's like for the animal? Mm -hmm, Exactly. And so if the masculine communicator has judgment on the feminine, he's like, this is a waste of time. Why are we doing this? Why are you bringing up emotions? I got to go kill the animal. And the, the, the feminine communicator is being like, wow, he's really cold and this isn't much fun or this feels really disconnected. And I'm glad he's getting the animal, but geez, like, and then she starts to look around. The feminine looks around for someone who's going to communicate with more connection mm-hmm. or she'll stick around in an abusive relationship, which happens. But the feminine communicator is going to look for someone more optimal who can meet her with her needs. So, and in the modern world, obviously we're not hunting and killing bison anymore. This might look like I need to get a new job because this one doesn't pay us enough to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And then, and she's like, well, how do you feel about that? You know, you really like your job and you really like your colleagues. And he's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like I need to get a new job. We have to have money for the baby. This is, this has to happen. Is that like a good example of like, what do you, in your experience are some of the common misses? Like what are, because most of the things couples fight about is sex and money. Right. So what would this look like in like a real argument? I'll give you one of mine with Morgan, my wife, <laughs> which you know I write about. It's, it was actually one of my most important life lessons in the last couple of years. And so uh, Morgan has two children. Uh, they're turning eight and 10. And I'm learning to be a stepfather. 
And probably about six, seven months ago, I came home and she looked upset. I'm like, what's going on? And she started talking about some issues with the kids and how it impacted her and all her, her feelings around it. And she listed these like seven or so it was a good 15, 20 minute rant that I listened to. As soon as she was done, my masculine, my masculine rose. And I'm like, okay, well, this is how we solve it. We do A, B, C, D, E, F, and we could do. And then as I'm explaining my brilliance of my masculine project plan to solve the problem, her face, you know, sh- you know, shrunk and her smile skewed. And I felt her shrinking, you know, physically shrinking. And I stopped and I said, oh, what, what's wrong? And she's like, I actually just wanted you to validate my feelings. Mm. And I was like, oh, God, you're right. This is, this is basic John Gray, you know, men from Mars, women from Venice, you know, Mr. Fix-It arose. And she's like, I just want you to validate my feelings. And I was like, I want you to be able to come into my shoes first and, and say it's okay to feel that way. I want, I want to connect with you over it. And I apologized. I was like, you're totally right. I was totally my masculine. Let's try this again. And, you know, reverse the tape. And it went back and we just went back to validate her feelings. So that's what she wanted first. And then when she felt validated, then she did want my help to, mm-hmm. you know, to brainstorm how to handle the kids. Mm-hmm. But skipping the validation had her feel that I wasn't seeing her, I wasn't feeling her, I wasn't noticing her. She felt uh, discounted, and that wasn't my goal at all. But just that miss, uh, if she didn't tell me that, I would have kept doing it. So it was a really valuable thing for her to tell me. I think that's a really, really powerful example, because I think this... This, I, you know, I would say that I'm more of a female communicator, feminine communicator. And as someone who's been in this circumstance, um, it's exactly what you said, where it's like, I don't need to hang out there forever. Right. Like, I don't need to just be validated in my feelings, but I need that to happen first. Mm-hmm. Like, I need you, like, like, if I imagine being her, like, I want you to, like, see that I'm, like, I'm feeling a little powerless when it comes to the kids. Like I'm feeling a little powerless. I'm feeling like no matter what I do, it's not getting better. I'm just making things up. But let's say that that was part of it. Like, I just want to have someone validate me and say like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That you feel powerless. This is really hard. And you know, where they go to school does matter. Right. And whatever, whatever it was. And then once I have felt, felt, literally felt, felt like you have felt me, I feel heard then all of a sudden I can come up with solutions. I'm a pretty capable person, mm-hmm. but when I'm in the emotions, it's like there's something stabilizing and grounding about a man or whoever it is, someone holding space for me so that I can offer my feelings and have them reflected and mirrored that calms my system down. And then once my system is calm, cause this is the correct order, right? Once my system is calm, then I can come up with the solutions and brainstorm with the other person and, and sort of take the action, which would be the, I guess, the more masculine, um, like step. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not met there, then in my experience, everything gets worse. Mm -hmm. Like then I, then now I feel worse (laughs) and I'm even more in it and I'm even less able to take action or do something productive because I don't feel seen. Right. And this is a classic issue between men and women to go to men and women. I'm just using the generic man with who are masculine, the generic female. So just so I know, I know there's a huge range in gambit, but let's just say man and women to make this simpler on this conversation. Mm-hmm. This is a huge way that men and women miss each other. 
because the women don't feel confident to tell the man, I just need you to validate my feelings like Morgan did the service to me. Yeah. Then all of a sudden the guy's like feels discounted and his brilliance is not being used. Mm -hmm. And so then his ego flares and then he gets mad at her, which further puts her in a hole and creates the chasm between them. And all of a sudden it's just getting more and more distant. And if a woman said to him, like, I really want you to validate my feelings and his ego, like what, I'm not doing it right. And bleh. Yeah. And you're in this, you're in, you know, and you've totally missed this opportunity to be of service to yeah. each other. Yeah. Because for a man who wants to commute for this masculine to produce, to do something for his woman to, you know, go out and move the box or find the animal, he's missing the opportunity to serve. She's missing the opportunity to receive and be intimate. And it's just this one little thing that causes so many bites, bites and disconnection. Yeah. And I'm wondering for all the guys out there that don't really know, like, what does that mean when she says, I just need you to validate my feelings? Well, this is hard because for most guys in their masculine, it doesn't make any sense. And I'll admit a lot of times I'm just like, Oh, I gotta validate her feelings. Like <laughs> I'm just going to lay it out. Like I am a mostly masculine man with access to my fe my feminine, but I'm just like, Oh, this is so inefficient. But then I'm like, okay, okay. I got it. I got it. And so really it's like three or four things. The first is simply saying, I heard you. I got it. And if you really want to go for those bonus points, you can say, I want to make sure I understand this. Can I say to you, reflect back to you what I heard to ensure that you felt you feel heard? Like you said, this and this and this and this. And she'll be like, well, yeah, three were right, but this is a little different. I'm like, okay, great. And then you, so having a woman feel heard is like, it's like a really good cup of coffee or a really good chocolate mousse. Like it just feels good. So that's the first. The second is to say something is simply like, wow. And I have to say this authentically, but I really can understand how that would be so challenging for you, or I can understand and why that you're so sad, or man, that would make me angry too. Validating is empathizing. It's it's really being in her body, in her life. It's really standing in her shoes to feel it. Mm. And then the third would be something like, um, you know, I, I can understand of your reaction or like validate. So it's just a general, like taking a moment, stepping out of your shoes standing in her shoes and repeating back of how that her, her telling of her charge impacted you. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So in the case of you and Morgan, it would be like, wow, I can see how that thing with the kids is having you feel powerless. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Especially if it has to do with like school officials and there's all this other stuff going on, you know, that's a lot. Like that's right. a lot to handle all at the same time. And you're trying to do your best for these two little people that look up to you and who right. you have to take care of. Yeah. And I'm a stepfather, right? So I have a different relationship, you know, than fathers do. And it's, which is a little more distant. You know, I really came into life just three years ago. So I don't have the same foundational, but even biological fathers and biological mothers tend to have very different relationships with their kids and very different parenting styles, though they hopefully collaborate. But, you know, and so for me as a stepfather, two or three steps, you know, or 17 or a thousand steps removed from her position to say, I'm willing to cross the chasm of our differences to stand in your shoes is like 
gold to a woman. It, it just, it validates, it shows your presence, it shows your concern, and it feels good to her. And so, like I said, there's times I'm like, oh, this is so inefficient. But just that extra five minutes, guys, you can save hours or days. And Yeah, you can save so much angst. And what I really appreciated about that story is because of the work that you've done and because of your awareness, you didn't get defensive. Mm-hmm. Like the, cause in the story that you, or the example you shared of the classic version, like he feels missed because right. he, he's like, but I'm trying to help. Right. And then he gets pissed and she feels even less gotten and it just devolves. But in your example, it was like a course correction. She was like, actually, I kind of just wanted you to validate me. Mm-hmm. And you didn't get defensive. You didn't have an ego flare up. You didn't stonewall her. You didn't leave the room. You were like, oh Yeah. Let's go back. Let me let me try that again. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> let's go back and do that step. Right. So th- that's the thing I think that's so important about these kinds of conversations is for men to know that this is a thing. Mm-hmm. So that if it comes up and if she doesn't feel heard, he doesn't need to get defensive and and dance that whole dance. He can just go back and say, "Oh yeah, I forgot to do that step. Let's try this again." You know, because it's not about being perfect. Like you weren't perfect in that moment, but you also didn't do what a lot of men do, which is get angry. Right. They feel, now they feel missed. Right. Well, one of my favorite quotes that have saved me more and more times in my life than I like to admit is this concept of rejection. And I got this from Moore University uh, many, many years ago. And the quote is, uh, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting your offer. Mm. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting your offer. Mm. And so, but men, when they get rejected, either for a date or for sex or even for their offer to help around the kids, they're personalizing it. They're feeling like, oh, they're rejecting me, Mm. but they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the offer. So if you can see, all right, that offer didn't work. Maybe I can come up with a better one that does work. And what's the best way to figure out a more optimized offer? get the feedback from the person, from the woman who's saying that was good now, or, you know, that sucked or whatever she comes up with. (laughs) Yeah. And this is how it'd be better. So I'm not personalizing it. I'm listening, revising my offer and coming back with my heart open, with my presence. And that's the way to a superior relationship. Yeah. And I'm curious how, because you didn't always know this, I'm guessing. No, no, not, not in the slightest. (laughs) Slightest. So, <laughs> so did you have countless fights with partners in the past that Count- did in this dance in this kind of dance? Yes. Well, I had I had a thousand things, but the main thing is I had uh, I've had very intense relationships with very honest, powerful women, which uh, kicked my ass on a regular basis. And then I, I had teachers, and I had teachers in relationship. And I've been a student since uh, really 1999, so going on 19 years at this point of getting my ass kicked time and time and time again. And I continue, you know, to have teachers and counselors and therapists, and I read books, and it's a nonstop thing in terms of my growth and expansion. And then I met uh, Morgan, you know, three and a half years ago at this point, married now for seven, eight months now, and we've set up the avert agreement that we can always 
add uh, comments or feedback to each other. You know, we are, we're um, deliberate about it. We ask permission, but mm-hmm. we're in, we have this open relationship where we're constantly giving each other feedback, honestly and raw, so we can just become better and more connected. So um, it's 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 been a lot of work. I don't. I just want to let you guys know that, like, like I've this is my PhD in communication and learning this, so I can help others. But I got my ass kicked so many times in my life, and I have so many embarrassing stories that I am glad to share with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested because um, when you say getting your ass kicked, like, does that mean that you're in a relationship with a woman and she's like, "I don't feel you. I can't feel you. Like, where are you? Like, what what in your world?" does getting your ass kicked mean or yeah? Well, I'll take it. I'll pull the lens back a little bit. So we have egos and it's part of our biology. It's part of our psychology. We have egos and the main purpose of the ego is to protect ourselves, which is a really important thing for our growth and psychological well-being. Every single day we depend on our egos to hold the, our system and egos, if they're not well-trained, if they're not uh, understood or developed or in connection with your ego, your ego can protect you from even some of the most amazing lessons and experiences because our ego is protecting us. Mm. And so, you know, I got my ass kicked for the first major time on March 20th, 1999, in my first class around sexuality. And it hasn't stopped since then. Where my getting my ass kicked is, is sort of like my ego getting punched, boom, or my ego getting squashed, <laughs> or like you know, like a, like add TNT and have the whole thing blow up and then come back together like some you know Wolverine sort of thing. But it's it, I, I would easily say ten thousand times my ego has been destroyed in the last twenty years from little. What, so to can you go into detail a little bit on what, what happened on March twentieth? Because the specificity of that is quite extraordinary. Like what what. What happened? Yes. This is, you know, this is my moment. Uh, every hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, it's called The Call for Adventure. Every hero in every book, Joseph Campbell describes the monomyth that every, most cultures and heroes have the same arc of a story. And the call to adventure is when the hero is offered a choice to change from their status quo to, to go on the ride. And mine was uh, March 20th, 1999, about 10.30 in the morning, PST. I was sitting in a house in uh, Marin County of San Francisco. Marin is north of San Francisco. And I was in my first class around sexuality. It was myself, my wife, Carol, and probably 18 or 20 other students, mostly women, mostly attractive women. A teacher named Erwan Devon, who's still teaching in San Francisco, his partner at the time, Allison Wyant. And we're doing introductions to the class. And calls on me, and I go, and I speak, and I talk about myself. This is my first class. I'm really excited, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, you know, I finished. Everyone would clap. Perhaps everyone would say, come to the front and teach with me. Like, I thought I was that masterful and eloquent. (laughs) And instead, he said, hey, do you know your wife's crying? And she was sitting next to me, a foot, foot and a half away from me. And I was so caught up in my own world. I was so obnoxious in my um, introduction, so misogynistic and chauvinistic that she was crying and I had no awareness. And it was the first time she felt safe enough to communicate by crying that 
I was obnoxious. And then Erwan did the most awful thing. He said, okay, who's next? And I had to sit in the burn of that for another hour and a half, two hours, where everyone wants to introduce themselves. And uh, in that moment, the call to adventure, the call for adventure was either to stand up, throw her over my shoulder, go back to my world, or sit in the burn, the crucible of that, and say, I want to change. I want to learn this part of myself. And that's that was the moment of the rest of this epic adventure, this amazing amazing life I've had was in that one single moment. And what do you attribute that bravery to? Cause it's actually a pretty courageous move to not exactly what we said, sort of like get defensive, shut down stonewall. Like there's a lot of pushing away that can happen mm-hmm. of a moment like that when you're like, cause I'm imagining if I was the man in that moment, I would feel like I had failed somehow. Like oh, I did something critical and I failed and I'm, I, I fucked it up. Mm-hmm. And the response to that sense of I fucked something up is pretty telling in a person's life. What do you attribute that bravery to of sit, of continuing to sit in the burn instead of like getting angry or defensive or walking out? My viewpoint is that people want the maximum results for the least amount of effort. So we want to, we want the most with putting least energy And the only time people will change is when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. In that moment, in that 30-second, one-minute, two-minute, 90-minute conversation with myself, and I thought about leaving. I don't want to sugarcoat this. I thought about standing up. I realized that the pain of staying the same, the same numb-and-dumb guy I was, was more than me sitting in that seat and dedicating my life to understand what that was. It was a simple P&L, profit loss, you know, cost-benefit ratio conversation in my head. And I was like, I really want to know who this part of me is. I want to understand this impact. And I'm so grateful that I had the, you know, the bravery, as you said, to sit in that seat because my life has been so much better since that moment. Mm. Yeah. Um, say more about that. Say more about how life is better now. Cause I think a lot of the, the barrier to doing the work, like, you know, going to a somatic therapist or going to a workshop or going to rehab or whatever the, the thing is that we're stepping into that barrier is a lot of times, you know, what you said about the profit and loss thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times what we, what all we can see is the loss part, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't see a lot of like on the other side. So just say more about like, how is your life better now? Wow. Well, <laughs> at that time I was 28 years old and I was working corporate America. I was uh, overweight. I was a workaholic. I was really just following my father's footsteps and I think I would have ended up, you know, divorced a couple of times, maybe some kids. I probably would have been successful in business, but I just would have been totally disconnected from this other part of me, this feminine side, this emotional side. I just would have gone down the path and been like every other guy. And instead, my willingness to stay in that seat started a conversation with Carol, who was my first wife. Uh, that led to going to um, more courses and more workshops. It had us explore our sexuality. 
uh, eventually had me co-found One Taste, which was an epic 10-year ride of building a business based on sexuality, intimacy, communication, and relationships. Um, you know, leaving that in 2014, I'm 48 years old now. I'm in great shape. I have a powerful relationship. I do work that I love. I help people every day. And I like myself. I think mm-hmm. that's the most important thing is I truly, truly like who I am. I like the man I am. I like how I handle things. And if I hadn't stayed to really touch this other part of myself, if I would have shoved it into a closet, I think I would have ended up on this very rote path. And instead, my life's been this epic adventure of so much relationships and so much sex and so much uh, intimacy because I said yes to explore all of me. Yeah. And you, and you stayed on the path. It wasn't just that one no. moment you kept going. Commitment. Yeah, you kept exploring. And like <clears throat> like you said, you got your ass kicked a bunch of times. It wasn't like that was the only time that you felt hurt or you felt no. like you did it wrong or you felt like you had made somebody cry. There mm-hmm. were multiple times. There were lots of adventures <laughs> like that. It wasn't just a one-off. Right. Well, if you go to the gym and you want to you know, you know, change your body and get a better build and, you know, build your abs or build, you know, it's not like you can go to the gym once or you can, you know, walk home sore once. It's like, it's, you have to keep inventing new exercises to tear those muscles, to tear the muscles, to build new muscles. And so it's, it's been a 20 year journey or a 19 year journey of self-exploration and it doesn't stop. I'm still discovering things about my past and my childhood and, my time at one taste and relationships. I mean, they, it's, we are such infinite beings and our willingness to confront it and, and grow. That's where, that's where mastery lies. Yeah. And I like how you're describing it because it's not, it's not a burden. What you're saying is not, ugh, and it's, there's all these, there's always something around the other bend and there's, you know, it never stops. It's more like, yeah, it never stops. It's constantly unfolding. There's always something else to discover but you're resourced in your life. You have a great marriage. You have work that you love. You have a good friend circle. Like you are, you are resourced for that journey. You are right. not out there alone in the woods, constantly coming across more things that you have to fix in yourself. Right. That's right. not how it feels. Yeah. And it's a choice. So it's a choice every single day on some level, a choice every single month on a different level. It's, it's really choice. You know, we are, Mostly people listening, I'm sure, but most people in the world are free. We're free human beings. We set ourselves up with circumstances and we set ourselves up with obstacles and agreements that have us not free. But really, when it comes down to it, we're mostly free. And so people who live lives that they're not thrilled with, you know, I coach them, okay, how do you optimize that? How do you change that? I'm not saying destroy it. I'm saying, how do you make this better? And sometimes you can change your life with one simple truth, like a one simple, you know, honest thing with your partner or one thing to your boss. One thing can change your entire direction of your life. But people are so scared of abandonment, ending up alone that we live in these prisons of our self-creation with the key in the palm of our hand. And so it's, it's, we always have choice to unlock our lives and take the practice to go from point A to point B. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of that key is, is kind of that same moment that you had in the workshop of like, okay, I have this choice. I could go back to doing what I have done and 
not grow. Yes. Or I could choose to be really uncomfortable <clears throat> and grow. What like advice do you have for men who are in some kind of circumstance like that where they're either they're they're they get their ass kicked and their inclination is to leave or push back or get angry? How do they stay in it? Well, for those my belief is um, men need two things. One is they need to have their egos cracked and then to confront, investigate, and then commit to a change. So I've met men who've paid me a lot of money to be their coach and don't do an ounce of work. I take their money. They go along their way. I don't feel successful. They didn't change. But that's you know that was part of their path. Other men, you know, pay me money, sit in my chair, sit with me on Zoom, and they're just like, I'm dying to change. And then I sit with them and I reflect and I add my advice and we work together and they have epic changes. So what's the difference? Is it, you know, intelligence? Is it upbringing? Is it, you know, what is it? It's willingness. Mm. It's, you know, willingness for guy B to say, all right, I'm willing. Like I had a guy B, a client who wife cheated on him and he was miserable and she was miserable. And, you know, he could have stayed in that miserable aspect, but I said, okay, let's investigate why she cheated, what she was communicating, where you ignored her, where you put work first. And so he was willing to do his own internal work to optimize that. And then he reconnected with his wife and then he moved to California and he got his dream job. And, you know, now they're having sexual adventures together it's just willingness. Mm. And so for any guy who thinks my life won't change, you know, this is going to suck. I can't get out of this. Well, if you believe that, then it's true. I mean, your ego is going to make sure it's true. But if you have one degree of, all right, maybe it's possible that I can change this, then there's room to grow and work. Yeah. I really like that about the, the transformation because what I heard the loudest was, let's get curious about this. Let's get curious about this. Why did she cheat on you? Why, you know, what was happening in the relationship? What was happening on your end? Instead of just, she's a bad person for cheating on you. Right. Just hang out there and like be really angry. And it's like bringing curiosity because there's something, um, there's something clean about curiosity. Like it takes some of the charge away. Like, let's get curious about this. What What is happening that had this happen instead of deciding already why and then just not learning anything? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I was telling uh, some of my clients the other day about curiosity in terms of like not getting another date with someone. Like there's a way to be like, oh, she didn't want to go out with me again. I must be bad or there must be whatever. But there's a way to ask like, hey, I'm totally cool. Like that's that's really that's really fine. And I'm just curious, like what has you not wanting to go out again? Because you're going to get a lot of information there, right? Yes. If you're genuinely coming with curiosity, if you're not coming to control, like why don't you want to go out with me again? Is very different than like I am genuinely curious. Like I'm wondering what's what's going on. You're going to learn a lot more as you go along if you bring that curiosity to your life, rather than you've sort of decided why. You know, even if it's something with your family, you've sort of decided why your dad doesn't want to come visit. Like, oh, it's because he's closed-minded or whatever it is. Like, what if you got really curious and it was like, I'm just curious. Like, 
what has you not wanting to, not wanting to come. Absolutely. You know, um, do you, do you use that in your, cause I, you, do you also work with couples? I can't remember. I do. Do you bring that kind of thing into the, into couples work? Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's really important because, you know, there's so many great books out there. I'm reading Esther Perel's uh, The State of Affairs currently, which is a really great book on uh, infidelity. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so one, we, we have this bias in society that the cheater is the evil one and the one cheated upon is the victim. But I don't hold that. I hold always both people responsible, mm. like 100% responsible. Now, responsibility to me isn't like a pizza where someone gets five slices, the other person gets three. My res- my viewpoint is everyone is 100% responsible. And you can choose what part you're responsible for that infidelity. In my example, that woman was making a lot of communications that she was interested in having sex with other men. He wouldn't listen. He mm. wouldn't even talk about it. He wouldn't even consider it. And guess what? She's like, I, I'm just going to do this. And she did it. Now, is she the bad person? Does he hold any responsibility? You know, I don't think cheating is ever a good, very good communication, but it's a communication the same. Mm. And so if he's not willing to listen to her needs, you know, this can go vice versa. I'm not saying this is, you know, woman, man, it could be man, woman, or man, man, or female, female. It's we need to be able to listen to everything from each other to communicate deeply to create space for us to reveal our fears and desires. Without that, you have mediocre relationships and things like this happen. Mm. Yeah, that's really um that's really fascinating about the 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 victim and a perpetrator mm-hmm. like viewpoint because what occurs to me in that story is like it is really awful to ignore someone it is like, it's really awful to just ignore someone who's trying to communicate with you in a relationship and you get to just do that. And then there's no consequence. Like the ignoring thing. It's like, if you tell someone like I ignored my, my wife, that's really different than saying I cheated on my wife. If you say I cheated on my wife, then we have all these scripts and like, it's really horrible. But if you say I ignored my wife, it's sort of like, Oh, well that's not so bad. But actually, the impact is pretty dramatic. Right. Like if, if, it, it, it's not, like you said, it's not like you're, you're off the hook because you were the one that was cheated on. Like what, what was happening in the dynamic that was contributing to that? And okay. I, I, I think the cheating conversation is a huge conversation that is, warrants a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. But I like that it's, it comes up in this because, you know, the difference in how men and women communicate, it it's like you said, it in communication can include more than words. Oh, for so sure. it can start with, Hey, I'm interested in sexual exploration. If he doesn't respond or he ignores her over and over and over, and then she just does it. Who is responsible? Like you said, in your view, both people are hundred percent responsible. It's right. not that she made, she was the one who made the decision. So oh, it's all her. Like there was a dance happening. She was trying, he was willfully ignoring her or unconsciously ignoring her, whatever it was, there were two people there. Like there were two people in the dynamic. Right. And it's lazy just to say, I didn't do anything. I'm the victim. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to have the optimal relationship, if you want to be in a passionate, connected, deep, intimate relationship, you need to do the work constantly 
to listen. And as you say, you know, nonverbal communication is anywhere from 80 to 95%, depending on who you're talking to, of a communication. And yeah. we, we put so much attention, so much emphasis on the words or the content or the text message. We're not paying attention to the other many, many other levels that are happening. And guys, you know, are not trained historically to look past the words. We're trained to focus on the words themselves and miss all the nuances that women tend to imbue inside their communications. Wow, that's a really good point. We don't have time to go into that right now, but <clears throat> that's something that I think I would like to go back to because I really feel like that's that what you just said is what separates the men who it feels really good for me to be around from the rest of the men. The men who right. it feels really good for me to be around, they're listening to all of me. They're listening to my body. They're listening to how I'm responding to the situation. They're listening to me. They're paying attention to me. They're attuned to me not just to my words. Exactly. Yeah. I want to come back to that. I think that's a great place to end. Okay. Um, so I'm just wondering as we're starting to wrap here, if there's any advice that you would give to men who can sort of look back and see like, Oh, I've totally done that. I've totally gotten defensive <laughs> when I didn't validate her feelings. You know, what kind of advice would you give to those guys moving forward? Well, the thing I would always recommend if you're a man and you're just like, wow, okay, I did that. I see that. The first thing to do is if you're with the same partner is to go to her and say, listen, I heard this podcast. I learned this thing. You know, I read this thing, whatever it takes. And just say like, I'm realizing there's places in my communication that are not optimized. So not saying my communication sucks. Don't go there. Just say there are ways that I can improve or do better. And I learned this thing. And first, I want to apologize to all the times in the past where I didn't listen. I didn't know. I didn't really understand the impact on you. And I really want to make a commitment going forward that when this happens, I want to practice this. Would you be my partner in having me learn how to do this better? Mm. Which is enrolling her on your team. It's a team sport, which is going to appease that part of her that wants to be intimate, that part of her that wants to connect with you. And I bet 99% they're going to say yes. And so in that, you're going to build more intimacy just by the vulnerability, the admittance of things in the past that you did that you didn't know about, and your willingness, again, that word, to say in the future, I want to do this better because I want to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. That's yeah. where you get the great nookie. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, because if if I'm if I'm the woman hearing that, I, what I hear is I want to be better at this. Mm -hmm. I want you to get your needs met and I want to figure it out and I want you know, you to be my teammate in that. Yes. I would definitely say yes to that. Um right. and I also just want to shout out to the story you told with Morgan. Like Morgan was able to say in that moment like, "Hey, I just kind of wanted you to validate me and mm -hmm. my feelings." What she didn't say was, God, you're an asshole. Right. I can't believe you You can't even do this right. Like, she didn't shame you or lash out or attack you. She said, like, man, I really wanted you to just validate me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's really what I wanted. And so that is, a, I think, speaks to your both of your levels of communication. Right. That you were able to meet on that plane. Because that's what I would love to see is both partners be able to communicate in a way that's like, hey, I really wanted you to validate me. Instead of, 
I can't even believe you can't even listen to me right now. Right. You know? Yeah. And for women, that's easier if they say that in the moment. Most of the charge comes because they've been holding the charge for a long time. Um, if your woman's willing to say in the moment, this is a real-time experience, one, it comes out smoother. It doesn't have the the long-time charge in it, and it's just, it's just easier. So if anyone can speak the truth in the moment directly with approval, that's where the most intimacy occurs. Yes. And for him to then meet her and not shame her, attack her back, but to exactly. say, oh, yeah, let's try that again. Let me try the validation thing. You're right. Let's, let's go back. Yeah. Replay. Rewind. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Rob. Um, so you are a coach. If people are interested in getting in touch with you or working with you, how do they find you? You can find me at robertcandell.com. That's the mothership of all my stuff. I have a weekly podcast. You can find how to connect to iTunes or Stitcher from there. All my social media is on there. You can pre-buy my book, Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. That comes out <laughs> November 5th. You can buy a book cheaper today. And then I'm teaching a communication course in Los Angeles, the first of many, on September 22nd. And um, I'd love to offer your... Um, your listeners a discount. So oh, that would be great. You can take 20% off. Let's just make up a code dear men that, um, that can take 20% off. And that's on September 22nd in Los Angeles. Perfect. And that's a full day situation. It's a full day wild ride of teaching my favorite stuff. And this is the real basis of it. We go deep into all aspects. So you can walk out of there with so many tools to communicate deeper and more connected. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. And scene. That wraps up another episode of Dear Men. Thank you for listening. If you want to reach out, we would love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Dear Men Podcast. That's at Dear Men Podcast. Or Facebook, we have a group, Dear Men Podcast. We also have an email address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join the Big Sexy Dataset, the community of people who regularly respond to the surveys that we talk about on this podcast, just email us at that address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will set you up. Have a sexy day.